From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Rowan Nadler, and Dr. Kathy Greenberg is my esteemed host. And we are your leadership development coaches. We have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. And today we have Captain Bill Richards of the Tucson Police Force, who's going to talk to us about leadership and some of the training programs and things that, that they do there. And you know that Kathy and I always want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. Welcome, Kathy, to the call. Hi, Relly, and I'm delighted today to have Captain Bill Richards with us. And uh, we've been doing a theme for the last several shows on uh, both the police and the work college, and I think this is going to be a great, uh, great program. Uh, as you know, uh, I am on the uh, Tucson Police Foundation board, and I serve uh, as one of the strategic crisis um, exercise uh, folks at the U.S. Army War College. And tying what we do together with leadership development uh, in those two, what I want to call theaters of community service and world service, are so important to our well-being. You know, leaders are the heartbeat of any organization, but as you know, most leaders really underestimate just how much influence they have over others, and thus they and their teams can underperform. However, doing just a few things differently can dramatically improve your performance and your organizations. What Relly and I try to give you a little snapshot of in every show are how to develop more leaders in your organization, what happy companies know about performance, emotional intelligence, and positive psychology strategies, a little bit about brain and neuroscience contributions to top performance, generation and gender differences that influence work-life balance practices and strategies to also manage your boss and to manage yourself the best you can be. We always give you plenty of tips and tools, and I'm sure today Captain Bill Richards is going to share some of his experience as both a commander in the Tucson Police Department but also as someone who develops leaders. And I want to tell you more about that in just a few minutes, but Raleigh, can you Tell us a little bit about some of the statistics behind the leadership aspects of uh, what we do as executive coaches. Sure, Kathy, I'd love to. So leadership development news, why do we talk so much about leaders? Well, leaders we know have anywhere from 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. We like to say that they are the emotional thermostat for the team, and the reason is emotions are contagious. So the leader really sets the temperature, sets the tone for, for the whole team. And... We talk a lot about leadership and having, getting people into the top 10%, and the reason is someone who is in the top 10% will produce twice as much revenue to the organization as someone in the 11th through the 89th percentile. Well, how do you get into that top percent? A lot of the research shows that if someone moves up the corporate ladder, up to about 85% of their success factors are based in emotional intelligence, understanding yourself, managing yourself, understanding others, managing others when compared to either IQ, how smart you are, or technical expertise. We also know that what can enhance productivity is training. 
And training can, if you bring that to your organization, can enhance productivity about 22%. But if you add coaching to that, and both Kathy and I are certified coaches, you can bump up that productivity to 88%. The learning gets more individualized, and the person has a better chance to get feedback and, and apply the learning. We also know that bringing coaching to your organization can enhance the organization uh, processes and uh, in some places, can in, if you bring coaching to your organization, can enhance happiness, and tie, which is tied to profit, by as much as 93%. So the idea of bringing in these coaching networks inside the company can really help. If you want more information from Kathy, her website is www.h2cleadership.com for her free tools, articles, and her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching services. And if you're interested in more information from me, Dr. Rowley Nadler at www.truenorthleadership for some free emotional intelligence assessments, books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. So, Kathy, you want to tell us about Captain Bill Richards? I would love to. Um, it is an honor to know him. Uh, he and I serve on the Tucson Police Foundation Board together. Uh, he is extremely well-respected and, uh, I have to say, one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever worked with about the politics of running a police department, and I'm sure that's from the 25 years of service he's had with the Tucson Police Department. He's also currently the commander of the Professional Standards Division, and he has formerly been the commander of the Training Division. So we're going to talk to him about some of those experiences, as well as the four years that he spent with the Chicago Fire Department, which I'd love to hear more about, and his uh, Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice from Loyola University in Chicago. He also has a Master's in um, Education uh, and Leadership from North Arizona University. So welcome, Captain Richards. Thank you. Thank you very much. So tell us what the Professional Standards Division does, and a little bit about your history with this organization. Certainly. The uh, <clears throat> Professional Standards Division is commonly known as internal affairs to, to most people in the community. But also I have command of our uh, CALEA accreditation, which is uh, uh, a kudo for the police department here. It's, a, it's a, uh, an accredited police department, and CALEA is the acronym that provides the certification that says we meet a uh, recognized set of national standards. A lot of work. I have a staff of four people that keep us uh, annually certified. And then the other big portion of my job is I advise the chief and the other commanders through our targeted operational planning unit and that is to look at crime statistics and crime trends and try to get out in front of the curve and provide those tactics and operations that uh, can kind of stem the tide of violence and provide some crime uh, suppression in, in targeted and focused areas. So that's, uh, that's pretty much what I do uh, you know, every day when I come to work. Um, my background, as you said, 25 years in law enforcement. As with all police officers, you start out as a patrol cop and I was fortunate uh, about every four years to promote uh, until I made the rank of captain. I've been a captain about nine years now. Um, I've done everything from uh, uh, homicide detective to uh, the air support unit. Um, I've been in command above uh, just about every uh, unit uh, division we have on the police department except for uh, narcotics and traffic. And um, I'm sure if I stick around a little bit longer, I'll, I'll wind up getting my chance at one of those two places. It's amazing you make it sound so easy. Well, uh, in retrospect, I think everything is it probably appears easy. Uh, 
there's a lot of hard work that goes into uh, promoting in, in any law enforcement agency, and, and a good, dedicated police officer, regardless of the rank, spends a great deal of their time um, learning and uh, applying what they've learned to, to be the best they can be. So, um, Captain Bill, uh, let me ask you, how many... How big is the force? How many folks are you uh, are you directly responsible for? Well, my division is relatively small because it's kind of an elite investigative unit. Um, as a patrol captain, I've commanded as many as 140 officers. Uh-huh. You know, here I'm relatively small with about 20. Uh-huh. Uh, the department as a whole is uh, right around uh, 1,100 strong, and uh-huh. we have a total of about 1,500 if you include all, all of our civilian employees. I was just wondering if you could just back up a second and tell us, as we like to do with all of our guests, a little bit about who influenced your choice to become either uh, a firefighter or a police officer and um, and who have been influencers in your life in the development of your own leadership strengths. Certainly. Well, it's an interesting story, at least I think it is, because when I was about <clears throat> seven or eight years old, uh, living on the south side of Chicago, my mom, her cousin, had uh, joined the Chicago Police Department. And I remember him coming over to the house, and uh, he was you know, a rookie cop, fresh out of the academy, had uh, a beautiful red Corvette convertible. Uh, I remember he showed up in a, you know, wearing a, a white T-shirt and jeans, and he was just physically fit and strack, and he started talking about you know, some of his... Adventures there as a, as a police officer in Chicago, and I just thought at that time, you know, being young and impressionable, that uh, you know, being a doctor might be a great, uh, you know, career choice. But boy, does that does that police stuff sound like fun? Did did the Corvette have anything to do with it? Yeah, that probably had a lot to do with it too. I mean, the whole you know the whole circumstances. Right. Uh, you know, he wound up doing about forty three years on the Chicago Police oh, Department. Wow. Uh, ultimately became the uh, superintendent over the mayor's bodyguard detail and, and uh, had a wonderful career. He's just recently retired. Uh, so he obviously made the right career choice. If you can do 43 years at anything, you must love yeah. it. So. Uh, so that was kind of my first impression. Um, my parents had ideas otherwise. They thought I was going to be the first doctor in the family, and so they they worked really hard and sent me to a college prep high school and and then on to Loyola University. And uh, i got to be real frank with you. Um, the current economic times we're going through now were very similar to when I was graduating college. Um, the height of a recession, uh, unemployment was uh, through the roof, and um, had a couple of buddies that uh, that said they wanted to go down and put in for the the Chicago police exam, and you had to go down to City Hall and fill out an interest card, and then they were going to go ahead and mail it to you uh, when it was time to take the test. So the secretary that was handing out the cards, convinced us all that we needed to take the test for the Chicago Fire Department because it was very similar to the test for the police department. It would be good practice. Well, I did, and I got hired as a fireman. I was a fireman, I think, three years before they ever tested for a police officer. Uh-huh. So that's kind of how I became a fireman. Great opportunity, um, wonderful opportunity. But, you know, on the whole, I had always kind of held to those eight-year-old impressions and, and wanted to become a police officer. So... Um, after darking out a fire one night in Chicago when it was about 30 below with the wind, um, got on an airplane, had business out here in Tucson, some family business, and I realized that uh, 70 and sunny in January was a lot better than 32 and wet in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. The uh, uh, recruiter that uh, that I met was a gentleman who now just recently retired as chief of police, and 
you know, the rest is kind of history. Back in 84, I attended the academy, and I've been out here ever since. Well, we're going to go to a break, Captain Richards, but I'd like you to think about the question, what key traits does the police force look for in today's leaders? And when we come back, we'll pick up our conversation here at Leadership Development News. Bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel, Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. 
Welcome back to Leadership Development News. Today uh, we're talking with Captain Bill Richards of the Tucson Police Force. And before the break, Kathy primed us, Bill, for the question, what key traits uh, does the police force look for in leaders today? What are some of the the key characteristics? And maybe the sub-question is, has that changed at all? Well, I don't think the police department is any different than any other organization in insofar as what they look for in their leadership. So you're you're saying this is true of business as well, which is fabulous. I absolutely have to say so because you know people are people regardless of whether you wear a gun and a badge or you, you carry a briefcase um, uh, in, in a raincoat to work every day. The reality is what people look for is uh, someone who makes decisions predicated, I believe, upon common sense, someone who's knowledgeable. Uh, ethical, and someone who is treating people as uh, they want to be treated themselves. So the answer is relatively simplistic. Putting it into practice, Mm -hmm. when you factor in personalities, politics, the stresses of what we have to do, I think it exponentially complicates the formula. Um, But the reality is, if you're a reasonably educated person and you have good ethic and you apply common sense to your decisions, I think you're more than halfway there to to being a good leader. That's certainly what we look for here on the police department. Well, like we always say, as far as hiring, uh, getting star performers, the best way is to hire star performers. And uh, maybe you can walk us through a little bit of what is your screening process? How do you bring these folks in and... you know, is there is it is there physical assessments? Um, is there also mental tests that they do? And then uh, once they're in, what what's the training look like? Like all government service, there's an entrance exam that you have to pass, and then there's a cursory background, then there's a more detailed background, a physical and a psychological. So the hurdles that you have to jump uh, to get hired to, to be a police officer are uh, relatively tall, and there's many. So we're looking for the best of the best. When uh, in, in one of my previous assignments, I was the commander of our human resources division. I would say, you know, to get a class of 40, we'd have to test 400 people. Mm. So you know, you would trip 90% through the process to get the 40 best out of the 400 that uh, that want a life of public service. See, the problem that we have here is when you when you pin on the badge and you accept the responsibility of being a law enforcement officer, you're in the spotlight. You lose a little bit of your privacy. You, you certainly have to live your life entirely different than the people who will go to work in private industry who can remain relatively anonymous in society. Um, so it's, 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 it's difficult, and we have to prime our people from early on that you're never off-duty. Uh, your behaviors, both uh, on-duty and off-duty, matter. And you have to live your life in a relative fishbowl. So we look for the best of the best so that we can bring them on, and then we spend their entire career you know, talking to them and training them and nurturing them and guiding them. And you know, I think we're as successful as any organization in, in developing our personnel, but like all organizations, occasionally one or two will slip through the cracks and cause you some pain and consternation, but you know, there's effective ways of dealing with that, which is essentially the job I have now is Making sure that we provide our own quality control, and we're we're looking at our people always from somewhat of a jaundiced eye, making sure that we're doing the right thing and we're holding ourselves to the highest standards possible. You know, as you talk about this um, as internal affairs, can you tell perhaps our listener who isn't familiar with what that organization does? I mean, we call it standards. We call it holding ourselves to a higher level of of ethics. 
um, what what might be something that would come before you as a commander? Well, it can be anything from a rudeness complaint um, regarding an officer in a traffic stop, you know, up through and including criminal behavior. Uh, so it runs the full gamut. And like any organization, you have to have a complaint department. You have to have a quality control. You have to have an organization within an organization that holds itself accountable. So in essence, what we do here is we kind of police the police. And there's a delicate balance to walk because you want to be respected and not feared, but you also want to be effective and not complacent. So, you know, we're constantly trying to balance the work that we need to do with how we're viewed by our internal customers and how uh, effective we can be for, you know, the chief and the command staff and the community. So it's it's uh, it's one of the more difficult assignments that anyone could hold here, and and uh, we take it very seriously. One of the things that you, that you said, uh, Bill, as far as never being off duty, and I think you know that relates to um, many of the leaders that Kathy and I deal with, and I think sometimes that same question is a little more profound, probably where you are, you know, in, in your line of work. But you know, leaders say, so everything I say has to be uh, measured and. In a sense, I'm under the spotlight all the time, 24-7. You know, people, they want to be able to check out. And I think, like you're saying with the police officers, it's really the same thing. that They're under the spotlight all the time, 24-7. And sometimes that's a hard thing to, to deal with. Do you find that um, for some of the police officers, that, you know, the, that spotlight, they don't want that spotlight on all the time, or they find other ways to deal with it? Well, I don't necessarily know that anybody wants it. Um, I think, though, we do a good job of noticing our folks from day one that this is the life you are now assuming, that you've given up a certain amount of you know, personal anonymity. Uh, and it's difficult. You know, I think Kathy will tell you she's very familiar with uh, you know, cops and law enforcement. We just came off an incredibly successful uh, uh, annual dinner where, of course, alcohol is being served. And we're very cognizant. You know, you can have a glass of wine with dinner, but um, uh, not too much more because, you know, if you happen to work for um, uh, somebody that sells clothing for a living and you get stopped for a DUI, it doesn't make the newspaper. You know, right. I get stopped for a DUI on the way home, I'm, I'm headlight news, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, national news. So um, depending upon the severity of the circumstance. So, you know, you have to be cognizant of that. And that, that plays into your level of responsibility that you have as a leader in the organization. How effective would I be as a leader or a manager if I can't display those behaviors 24-7 um, at my level. You know, I'm paid to hold other people accountable as a commander on the police department. Therefore, I have to hold myself accountable uh, first and foremost. And so, no, we don't want that, you know, we don't want that notoriety. We don't want that inspection um, mm -hmm. to that degree, but we understand it comes along with the turf. And, you know, I've told people before, cops are kind of society's referees. Mm -hmm. And they expect us to be perfect. They expect us to be right 100% of the time. And, you know, I, I draw the, the analogy to being the umpire of a baseball game. You know, an umpire of a baseball game is expected to call every ball a ball and every strike a strike, and you're not to get any wrong. And I think that's the same expectation people have of, of, of their law enforcement officers, is that we're expected to be right every time. And there's very, very small, if, if any, margin for error. You know, Bill, you, you've been um, helping us really get a, a very empathetic view of of the the kind of leadership qualities that uh, one has to have to be a community leader uh, even at the level of police officer and i don't think that we 
as a community of business professionals truly understand how important that is. We talk about ethics a lot. We talk about judgment a lot. Um, you are struggling, as are many other leaders in your industry, because I, I'm uh, making the great leap of faith that a police officer who's trained in any state of the United States gets the same quality of training. Is that is that fairly uh, accurate, or are there differences? I would say in, in most, if not all, major police departments, there's that same kind of standard of training. Most states, I believe, have a state uh, sanctioning body that in order to be certified as a police officer you have to meet certain criteria. Now, not being an expert in all 50 states, I, I don't want to say absolutely without a doubt, but it would be my opinion that um, everyone who carries a badge in the United States to a certain degree has to meet at least minimum state standards for the certification. And the reason I, I pose that for our, our listening audience is we know that you know insurance salespeople have to have a certain certification. People who do such things as accounting, CPAs, lawyers, JDs, or Esquires, even people like myself, Relly and I, who are either PhDs or MDs or psychotherapists or executive coaches, still have to have a level of certification that meets a standard, whether it's federal or international. And you're facing a huge crisis right now uh, in the fact that uh, you have budget cuts and you certainly have uh, budgetary issues that can undercut the development standards uh, that that you uh, hold yourself to. So what what are the keys that you always cling to, regardless of what is going on in the budget, in the market, um, to developing outstanding leaders in community service today? Well, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I don't think the police department is much different than any other business that has to train its leaders or keep their people current and whatever, you know, whatever changes come along. And, and so you have to be creative. You know, you have to look for other opportunities for training. You have to look for innovative ways to train. You have to, uh, you have to do things instead of sending three or four detectives to a school for interview and interrogation. You bring the instructor here, and then you train 50 detectives for the same money. So you have to be flexible in your approach. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I try not to do is, well, we've always done it that way, follow the boilerplate model. Uh, look to be innovative, uh, you know, solicit other people's ideas. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's you know, being fiscally prudent, you have to forestall some training, but knowing how long you can forestall it and when it absolutely has to occur um, is a management decision that, you know, uh, has to be made. And then sometimes you have to um, be a little bit forceful in, in what you need. And you know, the, the bottom line is we, we, we in law enforcement hold the public trust. And there's no substitute for training and education in any industry, and most specifically here in law enforcement, because, you know, again, I, as I said before, our, our constituency thinks that we need to be spot on every time. And, and the way you kind of ensure that is making sure that you have the best trained, best informed, you know, best equipped, you know, law enforcement officers that, that the budget will support and, and that you possibly can bring. So, you know, being innovative, um, using more online training. You know, technology has been both a, a blessing and, a, and sometimes the bane of our existence. Um, but using more online training, uh, getting people to do training in the police car uh, via technology is something that we're exploring. Um, certainly urging um, every member of the police department to continue with their education, not just because of career development, but because... Uh, it's better for personal development. 
you know, there's no substitute for an educated person. We are so pro-education here. It's, it's, we're at cross-purposes. We would love to require a bachelor's degree for every officer. Unfortunately, we're not there yet in, in the community. We're not there yet to, to do that because of the number of officers we have to hire. But you know, if we could get there, it you know, goes back to hiring the cream of the crop or the best of the best. Uh, but we do find that a great deal of the people coming to the police department now are college graduates, and then encouraging them to get a postgrad or a, a postgraduate degree, you know, is is something that they can do on their own to kind of blend with what we can provide here on the police department. So it's kind of case by case, individual um, programming uh, of each officer's career, plus some across the board things that we have to do. But yeah, you're right, Kathy. The the budget right now for for everybody, both in the private sector and the public sector, is becoming a huge hurdle to to overcome when it comes to career and, and leadership development. Well, I think what would be very uh, helpful to our listeners is to uh, talk about um, perhaps what are some of the critical leadership qualities that you and other commanders see as vital to the future of our public servants And we'll discuss that as soon as we take a break. This is Leadership Development News, so come right back. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? 
Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, and you add them up. Hey, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher, but without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. Profiles of Top Performers, and we're talking with Captain Bill Richards of the Tucson Police Force. And before the break, we were looking at the question, Bill, is what do you see as some of the critical leadership qualities uh, in the future you know, for some of your folks? Well, interestingly enough, um, one of the big topics we're talking about now is the latest generation of people to come into the workforce. Mm. And they don't necessarily share the same work ethic or ideals that members of my generation do. Uh, right now, you know, I'm of an age and a point in my career where I'm starting to uh, command people my children's age. Uh-huh. And they bring a certain set of values and a certain ethic to the workforce that are a little bit different than the ones that, that, that people of my generation brought. For example, um, they're not as interested in money as they are in time off. They're not as interested in promotion as they are in job satisfaction. So I think a critical uh, issue for future leaders is how do you motivate and influence people who are not necessarily tied to either uh, uh, you know, their collar attachments or money, uh, because that had been historically the way that you rewarded someone who achieved. You promoted them, you gave them more money. Uh, in this case, you know, we're going to have to look at a different set of values and how do we integrate those values into creating future leaders and, and top performers. And so I think that's going to be the number one struggle for us here is motivating people who cannot be motivated by material things. You know, and I think that's a, uh, you're dealing with that with the, the, the Gen Y or the right. Gen Xers. But now it's that like exact same thing. Uh, going on, you know, across our country with with layoffs and loss of jobs, and you know, the survivors who are there, you know, how do you motivate them? And I think uh, that's some of the stuff that Kathy and I try to talk about is you know, people feeling like they're in on things, they're in on something that's important, they're recognized for really good wo- good work, their their boss takes an interest in who they who they are in a person. And I think those are all um, key things, probably across generations. Now, is that is some of that stuff? Do you uh, deal with those aspects in your training when you're ha- dealing with supervisors or managers of other uh, officers? Initially, in our training, um, we're very, very much um, we very much follow the military model. Our basic academy is is modeled after military boot camp, where 
we try to take and wash away and break old habits, provide discipline, uh, attention to detail, obedience to orders, you know, those kind of things. And frankly, there there are folks that um, it's a real cultural awakening when they show up the first day of the academy and someone starts barking at them. And we're not talking about being physical or vulgar or some of the old stuff you saw in the movies. We're talking about just kind of, you know, amping up the stress and, and getting people to pay attention. And we've had people 35 minutes into the first day say, you know what, this is just not for me. i got to go. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, knowing when to back off and, and ease, you know, ease on some of the stress and pressure, and that happens as you get, it's kind of like earning your bones, you know, as, as, they, as they get further out into the academy and you can see they're going to make it and they've got the idea and they understand you can back off. And then, you know, one of the things when I was the academy commander is it was very much a, a military style, and as the commander I would walk, you know, down the hallway and they would have to make way and they would call you sir and things like that. And then kind of immediately after graduation, old habits die hard, and, you know, I would stop them and say, okay, you know, you're in the club now. You don't have to do that anymore. You know, sh- showing proper respect always is appreciated, but you don't have to make way. And we're on the same team. And, you know, if I'm out there on the streets and, and I need your help, I expect you to be right there, and I'm there for you. And you know, you've got to try to give them a little, little paradigm shift there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find what's real effective is uh, trying to talk to people um, at, at their level about what they're doing on a regular basis. Um, you know, the old management by walking around, I think, I think still applies. I think uh, leaders who isolate themselves, who rely upon subordinates for briefings and, and emails to make their decisions are missing a big part of the equation. You know, I think that this generation appreciates you sitting there and talking with them and listening to them. And, um, you know, two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you talk is... Mm-hmm. is always, I think, a good thing for leaders to do because the, the, the amazing amount of information you pick up just by making people feel at ease and, and, and having them trust you that they can talk to you and that there's no reprisal and that some of their suggestions or many of their suggestions may actually be you know, implemented goes a long way into, uh, into influencing people's behaviors. And to me, that's what leadership is. Mm-hmm. Leadership is the ability to influence others in a positive way. And there's many different ways to do that. And certainly I could order people around because of the authority that I have uh, by virtue of my collar attachments, but that only gets you so far. Um, I think true leadership with no matter what generation you're working with is getting them to share your vision and actually having them do those things by inference, not by order. You know, one of the things we haven't touched on, uh, we, we, we said in our intro, we always talk about uh, generation and gender differences. We haven't really touched on any of, the, any of the gender differences, and you happen to be very fortunate. I'll use that word. You have two assistant chiefs that are both women here uh, in this area. Have you seen a, a distinct difference in um, the, the strengths of uh, gender differences in leadership? I think that they, if you, you know, me, happen to be male, uh, working with uh, a female assistant chief, you will see a different style, you'll see a different dynamic, you'll, um, I think there's more conversation that occurs, Uh, I think they're more concerned with um, not just getting the job done, but getting it done in such a way that that you feel good about things, that that the organization feels good about, and it's no knock on our male assistant chiefs, but I think you know, being a male, we tend to be a little bit more direct. I certainly know one of my both strengths and weaknesses is I'm very action-oriented, I'm very outcome-oriented, and, you know, I've always subscribed to the fact that, you know, you have to break a couple of eggs to make a good cake. 
Uh, some people want to make the cake without breaking any eggs, and certainly that's possible. Um, and I've learned to appreciate that style of leadership and management, and I've, I've, I've learned to appreciate that by watching the leadership styles of uh, our assistant chiefs who are female. Thank you. I appreciate that. And knowing both of them uh, as I do, I'm sure they would appreciate that as well. Yeah, they're good people. And, you know, one of the things that I had to learn early on, probably back when I was a sergeant, is there's more than one right way to do something. If it just doesn't happen to be my way, that doesn't make it wrong. So I've had to open, you know, my mind to the understanding that it might not be the way I would do it, but if it gets the job done and it's effective, then I have to appreciate that. That's great, uh, Bill. At least I hear you say that. I think for a lot of leaders who are listening, you know, it, it's sometimes it's my way or the highway versus their way just may be uh, different or preferred versus a right or wrong, but we kind of attribute right or wrong to it. You know, it's just maybe different or a preferred way that that person has. So I'm, I'm interested in some of the training that you uh, mentioned before, and especially you said going back to the military aspects, that idea of trying to break them down first, and, it's, uh, and I think you express it well. It's not like it's abusive, but it's trying to change the paradigm. Just maybe talk a little bit more about the rationale there that, you know, why do you, what, are you, what are you having them unlearn so that they can relearn and just from that learning aspect? Well, we have to take these folks from a, a mindset of me to a mindset of we. Mm. And uh, policing is, is every one of us are an individual. And here in Tucson, we all work uh, one-officer cars. So you're in your car, you're alone, um, but at the same time, you're also part of a bigger team. And so we have to bring people together. And you have to, we have to teach them. And you know, a lot of this stuff is, is, you know, old, old time sayings. But you know, chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And you put, you know, you put, we put them into a, uh, a squad setting where um, you're not an individual in a classroom. You're a part of a squad, and the squad is only as good as the entire squad performs or not. And we use a lot of uh, peer pressure to get people to step up their game and to be the best that they can be. So there's a, uh, a, great, um, a great psychological dynamic that occurs in any academy anywhere, which uh, causes people who, some may still be living at home with mom and dad, mm. and uh, they have to understand that you know, you've, you've kind of left this autonomy of just you, and now you're part of a, a bigger team, you're part of a bigger purpose, and you're, uh, you're, you're a part of a bigger organization where um, your individual actions can affect the outcome of an entire police department. So um, we take them and we spend 16 weeks molding them into a cohesive unit so that they come in as individuals, they leave as a class. And uh, what we find is, is that many, you know, many of these um, individuals will still stay in touch with their classmates throughout their entire career and they will still identify with people out of their academy class. Uh, my 25th anniversary is coming up here in about just about two weeks, a little less than, and uh, there's still four others from my academy class, and we still stay in touch, and it still means something to us that we're here and we were part of that academy class. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's heavily academic. Uh, you know, for your listeners, the, the cadet that comes out of the police academy here in Tucson comes out in 16 weeks with about two years of college credit. 
You know what, Bill? We're going to hold on that thought for one second. We'll come right back. This is Leadership Development News, so come right back. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rock-a-bye, baby, by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion, make sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science. But it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News news, tools and practices for top performance. 
We're talking with Tucson's Captain Bill Richards. And before the break, you were talking about the, the training, um, the 16 weeks that people go through, and you were saying how uh, one is to break them from me to we. And I think that idea that teamwork typically is an unnatural act, and it sounds like you know helping them do uh, what's unnatural, actually really to collaborate and be a part of a, a team. And then maybe you can follow up, Bill, on, on those 16 weeks you were saying is equal to about two years of, of college credit? Yeah, not quite. I think it's 30, 32, 33 mm-hmm. uh, college credit hours, which um, might, might be almost two years of someone at a, a normal pace, you know, right. taking 8, 10, 12 uh, credits a semester. So they're leaving, they're leaving halfway towards an AA degree if they have no college. So we're, we're actually graduating people out of the academy who have a substantial amount of college credit, and that's, of course, free of charge. They get that by virtue of having you know, completed the academy. And then, of course, if they don't have college, they're encouraged to, to continue on and finish uh, because, as I said earlier, we stress highly you know, the educational component of being a good police officer and, and certainly assuming that leadership role here in the community. One, one question I have, uh, both Kathy and I are big advocates of experiential learning and some of the other folks that we talked about, um, you know, whether it was the U.S. Army College or uh, other folks we've interviewed, just this idea of scenario playing and putting someone in experience to learn so that when they're in a similar experience, their retention level is easier. Um, what, what things do you folks do, uh, you know, as far as training go to put the person into a kind of a real-life experience? Well, the week, um, the week before they graduate, they actually go through something that we call CAPS Week, which is a week of scenarios where they have to perform in simulated real-life situations and then complete and pass the scenarios. So what we do is, you know, we, we start by teaching in the law and you know, some rote memorization and you know, the, the accompanying things that go on in the classroom, but then we begin to get them out. We put them behind the wheel of the car and we do mock pursuits and we put them on the firearms range and we take them through not just firearms proficiency and qualification, but judgment shoots. And we can also take them into the classroom through the use of technology and we can put them in uh, judgment shoots, uh, you know, via the uh, the computer, you know, uh, and, and so what's a judgment shoot? Is that, is that uh, having multiple people and you got to decide, you know, who's on your side or not? Or The typical scenario would be you're going to a domestic violence call. You walk into the apartment, um, the one individual screaming, the individual sitting on the couch, you really can't see his hands. You know, you tell him, you know, stand up, I want to see your hands. He reaches behind him, and as he pulls his hand out, it's do you shoot, do you not shoot, mm. and, uh, a, you know, a good shoot would be as if he comes out with a handgun and points it at you. A bad shoot would be as if he comes out with his wallet and goes to hand you his wallet. Yeah. So it's um, split section, split second decision making with a whole lot of attention to detail, you know, beforehand. And uh, you know, we do that both in the classroom, and then we can do that certainly with target ID out in the field. So one of the things that I know is very important uh, to uh, to managing uh, these folks is uh, immersing them. Uh, in the experience so that they know what they're going to feel like when they're there. And uh, I know down at the academy I have been a part of these scenarios and have seen them on, on several occasions. How do, you, how do you come up with these scenarios? Are these actual live things that have happened that you guys have done analysis on and would have done differently? In many cases, yes. Their um, training scenarios are usually prompted from something that has occurred in real life, and it is an issue that we want to emphasize. Um, most of our 
major incidents that occur, um, officer-involved shootings, uh, pursuits that end um, in a collision, we'll go ahead and convene a board of inquiry where we'll have a captain, two lieutenants, uh, as well as others from outside the agency sit there and do a complete 360-degree uh, review of what had occurred. And one of the things that the board is allowed to do is make training recommendations. Was our training deficient in this area? Do we need to do something with it? And frequently, uh, what they'll recommend is this is something that needs to go to the academy and we need to emphasize because we're now seeing a trend or we're seeing something that was deficient or we're seeing something that we want to emphasize. So almost all of those scenarios are right out of real life, and many of them are uh, the result of recommendations made by members uh, to the academy uh, predicated upon real-life instances. That's great. So there's constant learning and constantly uh, these after-action reviews taking it right back into the training room. That's great. So a question I had, uh, Bill, for, for you is thinking about some of the, the maybe the challenges of a police officer, you know, you, you deal with this day in and day out. What are some of the challenges that, that maybe the layperson either doesn't doesn't know or wouldn't appreciate? Like, what, what are some of the key challenges that they deal with daily? Well, the expectations that the public has, mm. is, they're usually predicated upon what they know and where do they get their information. And unfortunately, a lot of the information they get is from television, mm-hmm. um, television shows or the TV news or things like that. What When someone calls in a complaint on an officer, and I'm not justifying rude behavior, Please, you know, don't don't take right. this as that. But you could come, an officer could come from a call where they spent half their shift uh, investigating a child death. They get called to a home and a child's uh, either died or, or been killed, and they're the first responding officer, and they get there and they, they deal with that. Uh, they leave that call, and then uh, they stop someone for excessive speeding. And... That person, of course, when you get stopped for speeding, none of us like to, all of us have. Um, that person may not be treated with the same level of courtesy that they normally would have because this officer is going through what most of us would be considered, would consider a, a life-altering or changing event. Right. The expectation is that that officer is going to perform uh, with courtesy and professionalism on that traffic stop, having just witnessed one of life's major tragedies. Um, people don't take that into account. And so one of the challenges that we have here in the police department as managers and leaders is making sure that we don't put our people in those positions where um, we're not recognizing these issues and we're, we're not properly preparing them to handle these issues and we're not coaching and training them to deal with these issues and how to act after you leave. Uh, we almost teach our people uh, to compartmentalize their emotions and compartmentalize their feelings in order to be effective in their day-to-day operation. Extraordinarily difficult. People don't understand the stresses, the adrenaline dumps, the um, uh, the tragedies that we witness on a daily basis uh, because they don't see that. And I think an effective police department allows its citizens not to have to deal with that. You know, we are the buffer. We'll deal with it. And for that, the average citizen gets to go on about their life. I've always said that if 95% of your citizenry doesn't want anything to do with the police department, it's high praise that the community is that safe and that their life concerns are such that they don't need to deal with the police, and that's a good thing. Well, that, that's very insightful. I mean, just just kind of picturing that, you know, what that person's day is like, that 
yeah, I'm sure the uh, layperson doesn't doesn't have any understanding about that whatsoever. No, it's amazing. And uh, having spent some time with these folks, I have a great respect and uh, an honor to be among them and working with them and uh, aspire to the level of, of energy and desire they put forth in being leaders in our community. So thank you, Captain Richards, for being with us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. So um, I know we have a couple of minutes left, and uh, Raleigh, you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah, uh, I'm just curious, along the lines, uh, and this maybe is on the short side, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, how prevalent is it? Is it something that, you know, I imagine it's there, and then how do you how do you deal with that? It alludes to some of what you were just uh, referring to. I'm sure it's there, and I'm not aware that we've ever categorized anybody as having mm. suffered from that. Okay. Um, I, I think a lot of cops go through their careers suffering silently, and yeah. you know, there's that end date when you retire, you put it all behind you. And, but I think it manifests itself. I think it manifests itself in, in alcoholism and uh, in anger and management issues and divorce. Uh, I don't know that anybody's done a real replete study on right, right. on that stuff. So, well, it's certainly gosh. something we need to help with and support and do whatever we can as people in this industry to to see how we can make it better for those who are serving right here at home as well as abroad. Exactly. And, and so thank you so much just for sharing this kind of inside look uh, into your life and to the police force uh, in Tucson there. And Kathy, you want to bring us home? Yeah, I'd just like to remind everybody, if you want to reach out to Raleigh Nadler, you can do so at www.trueNorthLeadership.com or myself at www.h2cleadership.com or Kathy Greenberg, Ph.D., com for my happiness blog. So look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Stay tuned for our new shows. And uh, again, thank you so much, Captain Richard. Thank you. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.